This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. This morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the YouVersion app. It's a free app on your app store. And we use the English Standard Version. You know, we began a series last week called Snapshots of Praise. We're going to take six weeks to intentionally look at different forms of praise in the Psalms. You know, Praise is like a diamond. It has so many different angles. And last week we looked at one of those angles. Jason talked to us about asking. We ask God by being honest and we ask him boldly. This week we're going to be talking about lament. We praise God when we lament. Lament is something that's actually really personal to me as you're going to hear. And so Jason and Tyler asked me if I'd be willing to preach this message this morning. So I'm excited to do so. It's my first time preaching here at Anchor. So it's a pleasure to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, I've, I've received a lot of just support from you all. So thank you so much. Encouraging texts, prayers, all types of things. So I'm excited to see what God does this morning. As I thought about the message this morning, I was reminded of a January a number of years ago where I do maybe what a lot of you do. I make those New Year's resolutions that you never actually end up following through on. And my New Year's resolution that year had to do with exercise. I needed a new exercise program. And my cousin found out about that. And so she said, I got the perfect program for you. It's called P90X. You heard of P90X? It was, it was sort of the thing, you know, maybe like 10 years ago. And she's like, the whole idea with P90X is muscle confusion. And I thought, actually, that sounds like really good to me because I sort of already do that. I exercise one day, I go six months and don't exercise again, and my muscles are totally confused. I am like always into muscle confusion. Maybe I invented this and not P90X. <laughs> The science behind muscle confusion, though, is actually you exercise your muscles a certain way, then you actually switch it up and exercise them a different way. And what happens is, is that you get faster, better muscle growth over time. I found out that actually a little disruption, a little muscle confusion isn't always a bad thing. It can actually be a good thing. A pastor by the name of Soon Cheng Ra, he's, he's an Asian American pastor, he made this connection between muscle confusion and lament. He made the point that sometimes we go through spiritual muscle confusion. Sometimes we go through some spiritual disruption. And just like exercising, we want to avoid it. We don't like it, it's not comfortable. But what we actually find out is that through spiritual muscle confusion, through lament, God actually builds trust and strength in hope in a way we never thought possible. It's actually in that spiritual muscle confusion. Historically, the church has called this lament. It's when we cry out to God in our tears and in our fears and in our feelings of abandonment from him. One author actually describes lament this way. Lament is the biblical language for people who feel distant from God. It's a biblical language. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust in God. Lament is a prayer that leads to trust in God. It deals with pain. There are definitely moments I felt distant from God. I felt abandoned by him. Some of you feel that way right now. Some of you felt that way in the past. You know, in my struggle with chronic pain and anxiety, I have felt so alone and distant from God at times that I didn't know what to do. 
lament or bringing our frustrations and our fears to God is something maybe we're not used to. We actually don't talk about sadness and pain as a culture that much. We actually try to remove and avoid sadness and pain. It's confusing. It, it makes us feel uncomfortable. If we're honest, lament creates this type of spiritual muscle confusion and we don't know what to do with it. But, but here's the thing. When we avoid lament, we actually become spiritually anemic, tired, and weak. You ever thought about that before? Scholars tell us that anywhere from one-third to half of the Psalms, one-third to half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms of sorrow and crying out to God. You know, the Psalms were the worship book for the people of Israel. When they gathered on a morning, the songs on their screen, the songs on their Spotify playlist, they were the Psalms. In one third to one half of the time, God actually says, I'm inviting you to sing in a minor key. I'm inviting you to sing in a sad key. It's like God saying, I want you to sing the song Hello from Adele instead of Happy by Pharaoh Williams. <laughs> it's like he says, sing Ain't No Sunshine instead of Put On a Happy Face. We don't like that though, right? Sad songs, we don't like them. You know, there's a running joke in my household. Dad does not like sad movies. I'll admit it. I'm not a fan of sad movies, especially if dogs die in movies. You ever seen the movie Old Yeller? That movie's the worst, okay? I'm just gonna, spoiler alert, I'm gonna help you out. If you've never seen the movie, the dog dies in the end. It's really sad. Sad movies are the worst. Here's the thing, we can avoid sad songs and sad movies, but you know what we can't avoid? Sadness in life, suffering in life. We can't avoid it. Just think of the past 18 months, a pandemic, death, pain, hurt, loss of job, loss of income. We cannot avoid sadness. God intends for us to express our sadness in worship. It's actually a form of worship. One third to one half of the worship in the Psalms is lament. This is scary. Again, it's uncomfortable for us. But if we avoid worshiping God and lament, we actually miss out on one-third to one-half of the grace and spirituality he intends to give us. Ever thought about that? Today, we want to create space to discover God's grace in lament. And, and here's our big idea. Here's anything I want you to take away from the sermon. It's this. Big idea. Your laments bring you to God. Your laments bring you to God. We actually think our laments create a barrier or somehow they take us from God. Actually, they bring us closer to him. He gives us a more profound experience of his presence and his love. And here's what's at stake for us today. Sometime in life, whether you like it or not, all of us will experience pain and death and suffering, feelings of forsakenness and abandonment from God. And in those times, God actually wants to give us language. Language that voices, we can say two things at the same time. Life is really, really hard. Life is really, really hard. And at the same time, I can learn to say, God, I can trust you. He wants us to know those two can actually coexist at the same time. And you may be at a spot today where, where you're feeling loss and disappointment and abandonment on a level you never even thought possible. God wants you to know today that he sees you and he wants to take you into a deeper experience of his presence and love through the process of lament. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Psalm 13. We're going to break down the text, and then we're going to see how we can live it out. What does it look like practically for us to live out lament? So follow along with me as I read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As we look at Psalm 13 today, we're going to see four steps in the language of lament. These steps actually came from a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Pastor Mark Vrogop. I would encourage you to read that book. It is the best book on lament I've ever read. It's been so helpful. And here are the four steps of lament we're going to see today. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. Your laments bring you to God when you go through the path of turning to him, complaining to him, asking to him, asking him, and trusting in him. And so in times of lament, what we first want to do, we want to take that step of turning to God. Look, look at verse one with me again. David says, how long, he says this four times, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is under some really deep distress here. We actually don't know what his circumstances are, but we know it's really deep turmoil. David is, is, is crying out to God in raw honesty. I am really glad these verses are in the Bible because I would sort of think that I'm not able to say this to God if they weren't there. <laughs> you know, Pastor Doug Logan actually has a really helpful quote about this verse. He says, I love the honesty of David. I wish the church could be more honest when we feel abandoned by God. But I grew up in the church that said, I'm blessed by the best, don't mess with the rest. We cliche God, we cliche our hope into this false reality, but the reality is we don't wake up every day saying Jesus is better. I don't wake up every day saying Jesus is better. I can probably guarantee it, you don't wake up every day saying Jesus is better. Some of you know my story that I have lived with chronic pain since 2007, and lament has actually, through that process, been a lifeline for me. It's been a journey, but it has become even more of a lifeline these past two years where one day I started having deep anxiety and panic attacks on a level I never knew possible. And I open up about this, not to say my life is harder than anybody else's, okay? We all have hard things in life. We all have hard things. My life is just different than yours, but we all have hard things. But I've had a very dark season these past two years, and I still struggle with it to this day. And I remember saying to myself so often, God, I know, I know I should pray to you, but I don't feel like praying to you at all. Coming to church was a struggle. I felt like such a failure as a child of God. I felt like such a failure as a pastor. When people would sing those words on the screen, great songs, I couldn't feel further apart. Blessed be your name. <laughs> no, no, God, I feel cursed be your name. You turn graves into gardens? Nope. You keep turning graves into more graves for me. God, what in the world is going on? I felt so distant from you, God. You may be thinking, he's a pastor. Is he allowed to say that? Well, yes, he is, okay? And you know what? You can too because David said it. If you feel you can't say those types of things to God, you're missing out on some beautiful, godly people in the Bible, who expressed those things. David was called a man after God's own heart, but in verse one, he actually says he felt forsaken. God, have you forgotten me? 
And rather than closing down his prayer life, rather than closing down our prayer life in that frustration, we want to turn to God. We want to take the step of turning and say something like, God, I'm struggling. I don't feel like praying to you. God, I need your help. I, I turn to you. And it's actually in that turning that that in and of itself is an act of worship and faith. You are turning to God. Our laments are turning to God. Our honesty does not take us away from him. It actually brings us closer to him. Your laments bring you to God. David turns to God. He next moves on to complaining to God. Really uncomfortable, sort of. He actually complains to God. David says in verse two, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Another translation says this. I found it helpful. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day, my enemy consistently triumphing over me. Have you ever felt like that agony in your mind every day? Like your enemy just keeps on winning? Like these anxious thoughts that are like a hamster wheel in your head that you can't stop thinking about. I did. Those sleepless nights where my mind just wouldn't stop. The worries about my future health. Is something going to happen to Kara and Noel? These, these thoughts about, are they going to get in a car accident? Thoughts I've never had before. I was restless. I was fearful, thinking, God, what, what in the world is going on? I thought Christians weren't supposed to feel this way. You know, your complaints might be different. It might be, God, what in the world is going on? I don't know where my next paycheck is going to come from. God, why am I experiencing such trauma and grief? Why is there a shadow cast over every step of my life? Will life ever get back to normal? God, why? God, why is it that I don't have any friends at school? God, I don't even feel like you're my friend anymore. Why, God, what in the world is going on? You know, anxiety, complaints, they can either lead us to God or they can move us away from him. And David allows his anxiety, his complaints to move him to God. If I'm honest, if, if I think most of us are honest, we actually think we should avoid complaint. Like somehow God's up in heaven just getting ready to ding us whenever we start complaining to him. You know, like, uh, I'm upset with you. I'm unhappy that you're complaining to me. You know, that's actually not true. That's where we can actually embody one of our values as a church being purposely biblical. We want the Bible to form what we think about complaint. We want scripture to, to, to conform us to what God says. Tim Keller has a helpful quote about this in verse two. He says, the fact that this is included in the Bible tells us that God wants to hear our genuine feelings, even if they are anger at him. David never stops praying, however, and that is the key. David never stops praying. You know, I think our culture tries to teach us to manage disappointment and difficulty through what I like to call positive denial. You deny your circumstances by just thinking positive thoughts. We actually don't encounter or engage with our struggles. We, we avoid them. We actually avoid our anger and our feelings of rejection from God because that feeling makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't like, we're not comfortable being uncomfortable. We hide our wounds and our hurts only to have them grow deeper. And the fact is our feelings, our thoughts are really there and God knows they're there. Even if our thoughts might be untrue or sinful towards him, David said he felt forsaken by God. He is essentially telling God, God, I don't feel like you're being godlike anymore. You're not being godlike anymore to me. What in the world is going on? Now, on an objective level, God had not forsaken him. God can't forsake him. And yet, David didn't allow that 
to keep him from expressing his thoughts. He didn't clean it up. Someone once said, prayer is not a place to be good, it's a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to be good, it's a place to be honest. We feel like we gotta clean up our prayers before we come to God. Don't hide your anger or anger or your struggles from God. He already knows them. Bring your complaints to God. Biblical complaint brings us closer to God and we experience his abiding presence in a deeper and more real way. I was driving my car some time ago and a light popped up on the dashboard. So I talked to my friend Kevin and said, what's this light thing? And he goes, you need a new tire sensor. So I took the car to the shop, to the manufacturer, to the person who made it to get it addressed. You know, our feelings are like the lights on the dashboard of our soul. Our emotions are like the lights on the dashboard of our soul. Our feelings tell us something's going on under the hood. And you know what we do most of the time? We actually just stuff them. But you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to take our feelings to the manufacturer, to the creator, to the very one who made us because only he can help us work through what's going on under the hood. You know, who better to take your complaints to, your struggles with, than the creator himself? Soon Chang Ra, I mentioned him earlier, a, an Asian American pastor, wrote an incredible book called Prophetic Lament. I highly recommend it to you. And he says this, he says, the story of suffering or lament is often swept under the rug in order not to create discomfort or bad feelings. You ever sweep your suffering under the rug? I can't, I can't, I can't handle this. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be a burden to somebody else. Church, let's not ignore the lights on the dashboard of our soul. We want to take them to God. It only causes more problems when we avoid and we avoid them. Jesus himself was honest with God. In the garden, he actually said to God, Lord, take this cup from me, if you would, but in the end, not my will, your will be done. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. It wasn't a surprise to him. Yet he still asked God honestly. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Actually, a psalm of lament in Psalm 22. God was, Jesus was perfect God, perfect man, and yet he was completely honest with God. In your complaint, be honest with God. We can cry out to him. Jesus was actually forsaken by God so that when you bring your complaints to God, you're not forsaken, but you only receive love and acceptance and grace and mercy. You know, it's interesting that David didn't let his complaints become cul-de-sacs where he just sort of parked them, never moved on from them. In Ohio, Kara and I, we lived on a cul-de-sac and we'd get these snowstorms and the snowplows would just plow that snow right up into the cul-de-sac, block our driveway. We'd have to dig out or call the city to remove it. You know, it's easy for us to allow our complaints to get stuck in the cul-de-sac of life where we don't actually move on from them, where they become an end in and of themselves. You know, complaint isn't merely venting. We want to make some differentiations here. Venting says, you know, this stinks, this is horrible, which is true, but it just stops there. It doesn't have any goal intended for it. Biblical complaint, on the other hand, has a goal. It's a prayer. It's being honest with God about our struggles so he has something to work with. It's telling God what's going on so that he can lead us to a destination of experiencing more and more of his presence. Complaint allows us to express our struggles and experience God's transforming grace. And I can't tell you how long your season of complaint or lament may last. Likely, it's going to be a cycle like we see in the Psalms. But here's what I can say. And I say this with all gentleness, please hear me, and understanding and love but it's if we never move beyond complaint, 
If we never ask God to help us move closer to him, we're in danger of getting stuck, and God doesn't want that. He wants us to complain to him so that he moves us closer to him. And that's why this next step is so important. We turn, we complain, and then we move to asking. We move to asking God. David started to ask God. And again, last week, Jason talked, did a great job explaining to us that we praise God when we ask. When we're honest with God, we're asking him to do big things. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this point, but I wanna point out in verse three, David says something. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Notice he says, my God. It's a personal cry. He's still claiming God as his God. Even when he feels alienated and forsaken, he's still claiming God as his God. And church, be encouraged. When we ask God for help, we're claiming God as our God, as my God. We're demonstrating faith. And why are we demonstrating faith? It's because we're still on talking terms. You know, asking keeps us on talking terms with God. It works faith. So cry out to him. He wants you to ask and to draw near to you. And he wants to give you a more profound work of his love and mercy. And you know, sometimes I can turn, I can complain, I can ask, and then I sort of just stop there. I sort of just stop there. And actually God says, no, the pathway of turning and complaining and asking is meant to lead you to a destination, the destination of trust. And you know, if, if we're honest, I think trust in God might be the most difficult step in this whole process. God knows that. David knew that. And that's why verse five is so helpful. Look at verse five. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Given all of David's feelings about abandonment and forsakenness, he says an important word here. He says, but or yet, or it's actually better translated and. I love the ands and the yets in the Psalms. I love the ands and the yets. We have no indication at all that David's circumstances actually changed. And he says, life is really, really hard, God. And I have trusted in your steadfast love. As Jason mentioned last week, this steadfast love of God is this covenant keeping, this, this never letting you go commitment to holding you. It's based on his unchanging character. Someone once said, when we struggle with God's conduct, we can always trust his character. When we struggle with God's conduct, we can always trust his character. Do you ever struggle with God's conduct? I do. David did. But David moved to trusting God's character. And what's that look like? What does trusting God's character even look like when I'm struggling with his conduct? It looks like the man in Mark 9 who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus didn't correct the man. He didn't say, I can't believe that you don't have a pure and whole faith. Jesus saw his claim of unbelief as an act of faith. Jesus healed the man's son. And in my struggle to trust God over these two years particularly, this verse, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, has become so precious to me. It's saying, God, I want to trust you. I don't feel like trusting you. God, help me to trust you in my unbelief. God honors that. He sees it as an act of faith and an act of worship. And trusting God also means turning an eye towards the future and not just staying in the present. David says, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. David is actually looking towards a future salvation 
We don't look to the future to, to deny our present. Okay, we're not into denial like we've said before. We actually look to the future to get perspective on our present. We want to get perspective. Our suffering does not go to waste. We look to a future when our conquering King Jesus will come back to earth and he's going to win in the end. He's going to wipe away every tear and every sorrow. All sadness and evil and death will be smashed. He will take care of everything. Trusting God means looking towards that future, not to deny your present, but to get perspective on your present. And maybe you're here today and you're not even sure if you have put that trust and faith in Jesus. Can I just say that that grace is available to you? The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with extreme grief. And you may be thinking, nobody can ever accept me or understand the trauma that I've been through in life. Can I just say that Jesus does? I, I don't say that to be trite. Jesus does understand. And he offers forgiveness and healing and hope and joy. He offers eternal life and the resurrection and the life to come. And all you have to do is ask him. Admit, God, I need you. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to step in and rescue me. And he will do that. He'll come near to you and he will save you. And so what does this look like to actually live it out? What's it look like when Monday comes and, and grief just hits you with full force? What's it look like when you're walking alongside a friend and they're opening up about their sadness and their grief? Two, two application points and then we're done. The first one is this. Ask this question. Am I comfortable lamenting to God? Am I comfortable lamenting to God? If not, ask why not. Ask God why not. Ask Ask a friend or your spouse, why am I not comfortable lamenting to God? Do, do we try to manage our emotions by stuffing them, that positive denial, keeping them from God? Or do we take a step of faith and turn, complain, ask, and trust? You know, when the storms of life come, we are often, our instinct is to flee, to flee prayer, to flee God, to flee Bible reading, to flee community with God's people. I get it. I, I've been there. I had zero desire for that stuff. And you know, can I just encourage you to keep fighting? One way to fight fleeing is to grow being comfortable with lament. In that book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, I would encourage you to use it as a devotional. Fight to flee. Another way we can fight fleeing is actually take Psalm 13 this week and pray it and rewrite it in your own words. Just rewrite it in your own words. God, how long? God, I feel like you have forgotten me. Why are you so, rewrite it in your own words. We can fight to flee. It is hard. It is really hard. But I can tell you this, God will help you. He will give you grace when you turn to him. The second way we can live this out is by asking this question. Am I comfortable lamenting with others? Am I comfortable lamenting with others? You know, the Psalms make it clear. One third to one half of the Psalms were Psalms of lament corporate community, lamenting with people, lamenting in community. And this is where we can live out one of our values being passionately one. Do I, do you live out lament in community? Or are we actually afraid to be honest? Are we afraid what people are going to think of us? Can I encourage you, share your laments with someone. Now, we want to do that wisely. We want to do it with somebody who we can trust, who's safe to do that with but share your laments with others. This is why community groups are so helpful. We need community in lament. I just want to speak to, to a certain group of people here this morning. Some of you may have been through 
such deep trauma and extreme grief that part of community for you is adding a professional Christian counselor to your community. There shouldn't be any shame around that. You know, it's tempting to hide our wounds and to cover over them, to sort of let a scab form, but here's the thing. Something at some time is going to nick that scab, and it's going to reopen, and the wound is going to come out, and it's actually going to manifest itself in fear and anger and frustration in more profound ways than you ever knew. If you see that happening, happening, you know, that can actually be an indication that it'd be wise for you. It'd be right for you to get some counseling. I actually have been going to counseling for two years. I've been seeing a Christian professional counselor because I needed some serious help. And that was a big step of faith for me. And can I say God has met me in ways I never knew he could when I did that. If that's you and you're thinking, you know, I think I could use some help, feel free to come and talk to any of the pastors. We would love to recommend some trusted counselors that we know. But there's no shame in that. That's actually adding biblical community to your life in a really helpful way. And God can also use us to be passionately one as we walk along somebody who's lamenting. What do you do when somebody comes to you and is opening up? Let me just give you a couple thoughts on some helpful things when you walk with people. The first is this. We can actually reflect Jesus by being quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, grief is actually really scary for the person who's experiencing it. You know what else is scary? When somebody shares their grief with us. <laughs> We're actually like, whoa, I'm not exactly sure what I should do with that. We start feeling uncomfortable, and we can unintentionally jump to dismissive quick fixes. We, I tend to go, I'm guilty of this. I tend to go into solution mode. I can make unhurtful comparisons. You know, we need to learn being comfortable, being uncomfortable in the spirit. We can be comfortable being uncomfortable in the spirit. There's a time to share God's truth, but we need to do it with the love and precision and wisdom of a scalpel, not a hatchet. Many times they're like, and we're just hitting the person when they're sharing deep struggles with us and we're actually wielding God's word as a weapon instead of a scalpel. You know, many times it's not sharing God's truth as soon as we think it's being quick to listen. This is where Jesus' example has been so helpful for me. You know, when Mary came to him in John 11 and said, Lord, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Wow. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't correct her. He didn't say, well, you know, Mary, um, if you really had faith, I'm going to be rising your brother from the dead here in a few minutes. So you really should gain some perspective. Or she wasn't like, well, at least it's not, you know, the well, at least it's not. Well, at least it's not like you lost Martha too. You know, at least you have, a, be thankful for what you have. No, you know what it actually says Jesus did? He was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Oh, no, it actually says he was greatly troubled. You know, the Greek word for that is Jesus was undone. He was overcome with grief on Mary's behalf and he wept with her. He wept with her. What a beautiful way, anchor. We can embody the gospel when we weep with those who weep. Let's be real careful, Anchor, not to prescribe someone's timetable for lament. Be quick to listen. Don't try to expedite their grief because you're feeling uncomfortable. Be quick to listen. A helpful way to help us walk with people in lament. I feel like I should get commission on this book. It's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. <laughs> that book is a great tool if you want to prepare yourself to walk with somebody through lament. Also, in the next week or so, we're going to be putting up a blog on the church's website with more thoughts and resources for lament, so be on the lookout for that. 
You know, at this point, I'd like to invite up the band. You know, imagine with me here for a moment, church. Imagine with me what God could do at Anchor and in our community if we embrace the grace of lament. If we embrace this spiritual muscle confusion, can you imagine what God would do with a church that's committed to loving and walking and praying for those who are hurting and struggling? You know, people who are lamenting in the church would say, what type of church is this? I can be so honest. I can say life is really, really hard and they're helping me move in a direction that trusts God. Visitors would come in from outside of the community and say, I've never been in a church like this. Their God can accept their tears and their fears. Anchor, imagine what God could do when we embody this. We could show everyone that your lament brings you to God. Doesn't take you away from God. Through lament, mysteriously, we move into a deeper experience of God's presence and a more profound work of his steadfast love. I want to see that, Anchor Church. I think you want to see that. God can do that, do that and by his power, he will. We're going to prepare to take communion here in a moment. We're going to sing a song first, but communion is something we do every week. We do it to remember Jesus' sacrifice and his death for us. And so if you're a Christian, if you've put your trust and faith and allegiance in Jesus, we invite you to take communion. You can actually go get the elements on the back table. If you haven't done so already, you can just slip back there during the psalm or the song. (laughs) Got the psalms on my mind. If you're not a Christian, we would invite you um, just to observe. There's no shame in any of that. You know, this is something that we as followers of Jesus do because we have already submitted to him as Lord and King of our life. And so let's stand right now. We're gonna sing and then I'll come back and lead us in taking communion. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.